Welcome to the conversation. Uh, you guys hear the conspiracy theory on the 5G uh, you know, system and how it's doing X, Y, or Z. I, I don't know, I barely heard it, uh, but I'm sure it's driving millions of people uh, to do insane things. So uh, luckily somebody looked into it as Ken Klippenstein, uh, formerly of the nation, formerly of TYT, currently of the intercept. Ken, welcome back to the show. Hey, great to be with you. Uh, good to have you. All right, so you wrote about white supremacists and conspiracy theorists that are targeting cell towers. So first off, even before we get to white supremacy and what it has to do with cell towers, what is the 5G conspiracy? I don't even know it. Is it, Are they implanting chips? What are they implanting? Who's doing the implanting? Is it Fauci? Is it Bill Gates? Who is it? What's happening? Yeah, the idea is that this new 5G wireless technology actually caused the coronavirus. When I first saw this, um, the way I actually learned about it was from an intelligence report that a source gave to me um, regarding a number of attacks on cell towers across the country the day prior to and the day of um, the Capitol 6 uh, riot. And so I was like, what on earth is this? So I start poking around. Uh, you know, another source gives to me an intelligence report from the New York Police Department's uh, intelligence wing uh, about essentially the same thing. And they said that sort of a general breakdown in the society and trust in institutions, in government, is leading people not just to you know think that these towers are somehow spreading the coronavirus, but that they need to be destroyed and able to stop it in order to stop it. And there have been some very sophisticated attempts to do exactly that, breaking into facilities, destroying the kind of, it gets complicated, but the cabling that, that runs these kinds of things. It's happened all over the country, it's happened all over Europe. I had no idea how widespread this was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so before we get into the why the right wing thinks this, like as opposed to the left wing or the middle wing or what, I just, there's so much insanity in the world. But I'm curious, you didn't write much about this, I don't think, but why the towers? Or how? How in the world would a cell tower have anything to do with an infectious disease like coronavirus? Well, the theory itself is different variations of it. But what I can tell you is that in the New York Police Department's intelligence assessment on it, there certainly say have been, you know, let's say reactionary sort of tone or attitude. But then there's much more, you know, explicitly reactionary in the white supremacy. Uh, there were a number of neo-Nazis that were described as telling uh, people and trying to organize attacks on uh, what's called critical infrastructure. And so these two groups, um, it seems as though they've overlapped in this uh, you know, concern about the cell towers. On the part of the conspiracy theorists, they think it's spreading coronavirus. On the part of the white supremacists and the neo-Nazi groups, they are doing the same thing that militant groups um, overseas do when they try to collapse the state by targeting uh, critical infrastructure and making it so that the state can't function and forcing the public to either you know, side with them or against. Um, very frightening because you know there's a degree of thought and calculation to this kind of thing that I think is perhaps not unique, but increasing in intensity now. Yeah. So um, a lot of you might remember there was a December 25th, i.e., the Christmas bombing in 2020, which is not that long ago, obviously, in Nashville, Tennessee where the guy pulled up a, a giant van and uh, was trying to blow up the AT&T building. 
And so Ken, do we know for sure that, that he was trying to target the 5G towers there? And do we know if he was a conspiracy theorist or a white supremacist or both? And then, and then, but really the main question is, I know that I'm trying to understand the logic of people who have no logic at all. But like, what did that guy think was gonna happen if he knocked out a random tower in Nashville? And then what happens? Well, this is one of the most troubling developments of the last several years is um, in that case, the FBI said it was inconclusive. They don't know. They know that what he attacked was a critical piece of communications infrastructure that you know served um, wireless and, and, and telecommunications uh, all across not just that state, but I think the entire uh, region. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't think it's unreasonable to uh, surmise from that that you know that may have been part of the motive. But the FBI said we just don't know, and it is you know very redolent of other attacks um, by you know individuals, sort of similar. I mean, you know, if you have an attack by a Muslim individual or you know whatever it may be, the FBI very quickly is like, oh, ISIS, and they had this ideology and this and that, and now we've got these sort of you know. Um, I don't know what Caucasian individuals who had these attacks on the FBI is just like, yeah, we don't know. It just, uh, you know, I would say, look at the uh, Las Vegas shooting. There, I read the report, their conclusion was they didn't know what to make of that either. And this is very troubling because these sorts of things keep happening. You just seem to have limited either willingness on the part of the intelligence agencies to say what it is or even limited insight as to you know what's going on here. But they, they said they just don't know. Yeah, I think there's two phenomenon going on there. Uh, one is that um, they they will get political pressure if they say it is white supremacist or anything to do with the right wing, because then Ted Cruz and all the rest of them will yell at him and pull him into hearings and try to get him fired. Like how, and and it's so ironic because that is the definition of political correctness. Uh, the FBI might be factually <laughs> correct. Uh, but they are not politically correct if they say it's white supremacists. So that they, they're careful about that. This, the second part of it is, Ken, it, it appears that it's just the assumptions built into people. And, and hence, that's why we talk about how discrimination, race, bigotry, etc. Is in the back of all, all of our heads because of the programming we've gotten from the media and, and the rest of society. Where they see a Muslim guy do a bombing, they go, well, obviously terrorists. They see a white guy do a bombing, and go, they go, I have no idea why. <laughs> like and they, I think they genuinely believe it. Like, like I mean, that's a good white guy. I don't know why he would do that. Oh, bad Muslim guy. That's obvious, right? And so, but let me bring it back around to the question of white supremacy. Um, why are the white like the so the white supremacists don't they're they're not in it for the coronavirus? Why are they targeting the five G towers just because it's an infrastructure that they pick it out of a hat, or did they are they piggybacking on this conspiracy theory? Like, what does white supremacy have to do with random cell towers? Yeah, these groups are very diffuse, and it's hard to you know pin down any one ideology. But there certainly is a lot. I think there is a fairly clear distinction between the sort of Dale Gribble kind of conspiracy theorists who, in the past, you know, might have believed things that now you look at it, it's almost charming, like UFOs or Big Bigfoot or you know these kind of things that, as a kid, I sort of enjoyed playing around with. Now it's becoming more politicized, and I think that we're seeing more interaction between those two groups. I don't know if the you know far right white supremacist groups are using this for recruitment, but certainly their goals are more political in nature. Um, I'm not saying they don't believe in conspiracy theories, they absolutely do. But it's less that, it seems to be more trying to um, effectuate a, uh, 
either collapse of the state or many of them believe in what's called accelerationism, the idea that if you can accelerate the collapse of society, then we can bring about this you know, um, white nation that we want or ethno state that we want. Um, so it's, it's much more political in orientation, but they're increasingly becoming uh, difficult to distinguish and overlapping more and more. So I think that distinction will, will break down going forward. Well, I mean, I'm here. I'm going to take a silver lining out of this, which is that apparently the white supremacists are frustrated that they're not as in charge as they used to be. So, okay, we'll call that good news. But, but Ken, it's it almost feels like a larger, more modern version of a cross burning, because even if you knock out the biggest cell tower in Nashville, it ain't going to make a goddamn piece of difference, right? There's no way that makes a difference, right? But it feels like they want to light the tower on fire just to be able to say we're here and we still want to terrorize you. Yeah, and the amount of thought that goes into some of these things. Um, you know, they cite several instances in the intelligence report that I got and that I wrote about. And you know, you have people cutting holes into perimeter fences in order to get in there and uh, be able to destroy the cabling that powers these kinds of things. I mean, and they, you had another guy. Um, uh, fake an alibi that he worked for some government agency to be able to access it. This is a degree of planning that goes into these things that um, I think in the past, when you look at some of the, like I was saying before, the UFO guys, there, there wasn't there wasn't that extent of sort of operational um, planning. And I think that's concerning in itself. Yeah, all right, now I'm not equating the two, we're very clear about this. But there are <laughs> folks on the left uh, who have uh, started to believe conspiracy theories as well. They are not at all violent. And if they are, we'll tell you, right? We're not afraid of, of facts and, and reporting the news here. Ken is and I'm not. Uh, but it, it seems to be still on the more harmless side. But unfortunately, one of them appears to be Naomi Wolf. So uh, w- what did you do now, Ken, in regards to <laughs> Naomi Wolf? Well, she's been tweeting all of this anti-vax stuff, and it's sort of disappointing to see because um, she has a sort of cachet with the left in a way that a lot of these conspiracy theorists don't. I think that um, you know, typically liberals seem to be very enthusiastic about you know science and uh, you know individuals that are supposed to sort of um, you know be banner men for that, like uh, Fauci, even to an extent that I'm sort of uncomfortable with. Um, but in her case, uh, you know, she's posting all this stuff saying that, you know, vaccines are harming kids and these kind of things. And I was sort of upset by that. So I just, you know, as a way to kind of illustrate to people how poorly thought out these kind of ideologies tend to be, I sent her a, uh, you know, a gag quote that I uh, had made using a male porn star where I said uh, he was dressed up as a doctor, um, one of his, <laughs> one of the roles that he plays. Um, and I put in that quote, uh, you know, the coronavirus, why do we need, or um, the vaccines, why do we need to make the case to people if they're so safe? Why do we need to persuade people to do it? And uh, she, you know, she tweeted it out almost immediately. And, and the point I'm trying to make here is that these folks don't think this stuff through. They'll just get something that agrees with this, uh, you know, ideology and just throw it out there without even looking into it. Yeah, guys, it doesn't matter where it comes from. Uh, just do a little bit of research first, right? Uh, see what most of the scientists and doctors are saying. And we, we on the left have been saying for a long, long time, 99% of the world's scientists aren't lying about climate change. Um, they're also not likely lying about vaccines or medicine. So uh, so Ken makes that point in a funny way uh, in, in uh, with Naomi Wolf. Uh, but please do your own research and look at what actual scientists and doctors say. All right, Ken, uh, appreciate it, brother. Thanks for coming on. Good to talk to you, Jack.
All right, back on the conversation. Now we want to talk about the shooting in Atlanta. Is it a hate crime? So a lot of you might answer yes, and there's very good reason to say that. But what kind of hate crime, and is there any chance that it could be prosecuted? So that's what we want to talk about now. We're gonna bring Irene Zhang. She is with Insider's Voice of Color and has written about this on a couple of occasions. So Irene, welcome to the conversation. Thank you. Um, no problem. So, Irene, um, first of all, let me just jump in with everybody's talking about how it's a, potentially a hate crime against Asians, and there's a compelling case for that. But to me, it screams of a hate crime against women, uh, and I'm kind of confounded as to why that's not getting more attention. So, can you clarify for us? Is is there are there hate crimes on the issue of gender as well, and and is that getting enough attention in this case? So yes, there are hate crimes on the issue of gender, both federally speaking and in Georgia's state hate crime statute. In this case, you know, experts aren't exactly sure whether enough there's evidence to categorize it as a race-based hate crime. Um, you know, investigators still need to finish, um, you know, figuring out really what was the motivation behind this. But based on what the um, what Robert Aaron Long has already said to police that he killed these women because he wanted to get rid of temptation, that is pretty solid evidence for a gender-based hate crime. Yeah, there's no look the the people that are in a sense almost implicitly protecting him from the race-based hate crime. Are admitting to his gender-based hate crime. They're saying, "Oh no, no, it's because he, you know, was led to believe that sex and porn were terrible addictions, and and he needed to fight the temptation, and that's why he had to kill these women." I think you just admitted to a hate crime. So I, so I, right? What am yeah. I? I'm not missing anything, am I? No, you're not missing anything, but ultimately it is up to state prosecutors and then possibly federal prosecutors to decide whether or not they have a case against him. Sometimes they might just not decide to prosecute because in this case he is facing the death penalty. And you know there isn't really anything worse than that. And prosecutors might decide it's not worth it to put those additional hate crime charges on top of the charges that he's already facing. So. Um, you explain in, in your articles, the Department of Justice takes a long time to do a hate crime. There's a, a understandable bureaucracy around it, but it is very frustrating. And the Attorney General has to sign off on it, etc. In, in the case of Georgia, what do they have to prove to show that it's a hate crime? Um, in the case of Georgia, there has to be, um, what, is the, what is the term for it? Um, it just has to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt that the intention behind the crime was to target a certain protected class. And in this case, the potential classes that would apply could be gender-based or could be race-based. Yeah, so now let's talk about the, the, the perspective of this that is about Asian Americans, right? So look, on the one hand, it's less clear than him saying, I think women, are causing me temptation, it's their fault, so I'm gonna go murder them. I, it's like the definition of a hate crime. I, so, uh, but, I, but there's an excellent case to be made for 
it being a hate crime against Asians too, because it's not like he went and murdered random women. He specifically targeted Asian women. And so uh, that seems to be a good case for that as well. Uh, but you know, you had a, a point in, in one of your articles here that I found to be interesting about how many cases are reported, like stop AAPI hate has recorded 3,795 hateful incidents against Asian Americans since March of 2020. So that's nearly 4,000, that's a lot. But 122 were reported by police in major cities in 2020. So why this giant disparity? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a there's a huge difference between what counts as a hate crime and what is reported as a hateful incident. Hateful incidents can be anything from verbal assault to spitting to you know to serious to cases of serious physical assault. Like that that can still be a hateful incident. It's only counted as a hate crime if it is charged as such. And oftentimes, uh, police don't really. You know, they don't really open up the investigation to investigate the hate crime aspect of it, especially if there are other charges that are easier to prove. Because oftentimes you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, depending on the state, um, that the person committed this crime because the victim or the intended victim um, was of a certain protected class. And that's really hard to do from a legal standpoint. Um, all right. Uh, so, Here's another side note that that I'm worried about, and you wrote about this in a slightly different way. So now there's tremendous fear in the Asian community. And so my wife is originally from Taiwan. So I, you know, I know a lot of older Asians who are now worried about going out in the street. Now, the hate crimes have increased by 150%. There's no question that that's true. And some of them have been horrific as this. But I'm also wondering, and I don't have an answer for how to solve this, right? But in a sense, our reporting of it to bring attention to it helps to hopefully alleviate it in the long run. But it also scares the heck out of people. And so, Irene, I don't know how to solve that one. Do you do you sense the same fear in the Asian American community today that that I do, and how much more elevated it is than a month ago? Um, yeah, I, I definitely do. But I think that also the fear has been there from the beginning of the pandemic um, for Asian Americans. I think that you know everyone that I know who is of Asian descent has been East Asian descent specifically has been. Sort of nervous about going outside, um, and I know I have uh, as well. You know, I've had racial incidents happen to me in the city um, in New York before the pandemic, and since the pandemic, I've just felt like a very elevated level of anxiety whenever going out. And I know that's true of um, all of my all of my friends who are also East Asian. I mean, it just it feels like. Um, you know, we we were being scapegoated for for this pandemic, and it's just getting worse. Yeah, and so not all the people doing the attacks are Trump supporters, but Trump and the right wing drove this agenda that it's China's fault for the virus. Now, the reality is, if you were actually being technically correct and factually correct. Um, the US spread the virus more than any other country. We had the most cases, we had the most deaths, and so, uh, you know, uh, but Irene, isn't that the issue here? That it's a uh, it's a matter of privilege. So when you have the sheriff spokesperson 
in the shootings saying, well, well, the guy had a really bad day and and he calls his, he doesn't call it a confession. He says he took responsibility for his actions. Um, and the assumption is, well, you know, if you're doing these anti-Asian crimes, I guess some folks in power still think like, oh, I get why you did it. Whereas blaming America or blaming anyone else would be nonsensical, but blaming minorities to them implicitly seems to make sense. Isn't that an even deeper and bigger problem? Um, I guess I'm not sure what you mean in terms of like the connection between scapegoating Asians for the pandemic and in this particular case. Um, you know, I I actually don't personally think that um, they are completely connected. I think maybe that there is some um, some implicit bias happening in this case, um, where you know maybe the shooter, um, you know, I, I can't really speak to his motivations there, but uh, I think that separately, this is more to do with the hatred of Asian women specifically and the fetishization of Asian women specifically. That has a long history before the pandemic. Um, I think that it also speaks to just the, the historical disdain that Americans, especially white Americans, have had for Asian Americans, um, for people of Asian descent in this country since you know the first moment we stepped foot on this ground. Yeah, tell us about the Page Act of 1875, because a lot of people might not know about that. Sure. Yeah. So when the first um, Chinese over from China. Most of them were men. Most of them were railroad workers or worked in the gold rush or in some capacity really doing sort of service labor menial jobs. There weren't really that many women. But the women that did come over were often kidnapped or coerced into essentially what was sex slavery. They lived in brothels that were really brutal, that they rarely survived past four years. Um, usually died of, of venereal disease or other illnesses before they were um, there. Technically, their contracts were up, um, and so that started happening in maybe the 1850s, the mid 1800s. Um, and there was this perception, generally speaking. Of course, not all all Chinese women were sex workers, but a lot of them did come over in that capacity. Um, happened was that there was just a lot of anti-Chinese sentiment. And these Chinese sex workers became a scapegoat for um, legislators who wanted an excuse to pass anti-Chinese legislation. So the Page Act of 1875 um, essentially banned um, immigration into the US uh, for lewd and uh, Immoral reasons. I'm not exactly sure what the wording is there, but essentially targeting these sex workers, um, and that was used as sort of the foundation for the Chinese Exclusion Act. Seven years later, in 1882. All right, uh, a, a, a deep and troubled history, unfortunately, for America uh, in how we've treated uh, Asians and Asian Americans here. Um, Irene, thank you so much for joining us and shedding some light on it. And everybody check out the articles because it's got so much more information on this issue, including uh, the Chinese Exclusion Act, which you should all know about. Um, so uh, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Jay.